Hey, this is Lee. I really hope you've been enjoying the Business of Marketing podcast. It's from marketers and for marketers, and my intention is to bring you value, experiences, and insights that you can use. Also, if your company would like to have their own podcast, I would love to help. The team at Content Monster specializes in B2B podcasts. So if we can help, contact me at contentmonster.com. That's contentmonster, M-O-N-S-T-A.com. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Business of Marketing Podcast where we have conversations with some of the most influential and thought-provoking minds in marketing, sales, and business. And here's your host, A. Lee Judge. Welcome again to the Business of Marketing. I'm A. Lee Judge. As a business, who leads our digital communication? It's not a simple question because... These leaders change depending on what kind of communication we're talking about. Um, Is it new info about our products and services? Is it content marketing to educate our consumers? Or is it spin to help solve a perception emergency? Not to mention who who manages all the digital communication channels that we have today. To help gain some insight into these questions, my guest today is founder, CEO, and author of Spin Sucks, she also is the host of Spin Sucks Podcast and the author of Spin Sucks, the book. She's the creator of the Peso model, which we'll discuss later on for sure. She's also grown an agency over the past few 10 years while co-authoring the book Marketing in the Round and being the co-host of several other podcasts herself, including Inside PR and the Agency Leadership Podcast. So today I expect we'll dive into both PR and marketing to discuss the intersections of the two and if they are perhaps growing into the same thing in the modern digital world. So welcome to the podcast, Jenny Dietrich. Hi, Jenny. Ah, thank you so much for having me. This is a long time coming, so I am very excited to be here. Yes, it isn't uncommon today for people to have not just busy schedules, but scheduling around sicknesses and viruses and shutdowns and lockdowns. COVID and strep and everything else in between. All those things. So yeah, it's, it's, it's great for us to finally get in sync and I've been looking forward to the conversation. So, Jenny, first, I want to understand and set the stage for our audience. Um, Where do you position your background or area of expertise the most in public relations or marketing or both? I do public relations because that's how I, quote unquote, grew up. I grew grew up in a big global PR firm and that's my background. So, you know, I've certainly have, have evolved my career, but that's how I position myself. Okay, so even though I'm sure you may be tired of this current state of PR question. I know you get this all the time. Um, But as a marketer, uh, as a marketer who helps teach other marketers, I do want to discuss what PR means today. So first, let me share what I've seen. And then I'd like for you to perhaps correct me (laughs) uh, or guide me in the right direction as you see it fit. Okay. So for a while, I've seen PR through two different lenses. One, either PR sets a high level strategy that kind of encompasses how and where to deploy the content marketing strategy, or two, a branch of marketing where PR is a relationship tactic inside, used inside a marketing process. And for me, over both of those lenses, the secret sauce for PR is the relationship part. So how do you see the connection between the two? You know, it's actually a pretty good description of it. I haven't heard it positioned that way, but that's pretty darn good. Um, it is, we are the relationship people and we're also the storytellers. And I think that that's where we different, where a communications professional differs from a marketer, because 
we, that's what we are accustomed to doing. We're accustomed to building relationships with internal and external audiences and telling a story in a way that's compelling and interesting that motivates somebody to take action. It may not be to buy like a marketer's job is, but it's, it's some sort of action. It's to visit the website. It's to download content. It's to subscribe. It's, you know, more of that top of the funnel type of activity where I would say the marketer's job is more bottom of the funnel and we sort of intersect at the middle. Okay. So yeah, you mentioned the the difference in the two jobs, and I know we both have to, whether it be a client or if we're working inside a company, we have to deal with the hard part, which is proving the ROI on our efforts. So mm. whether you call it PR or marketing or both, you still got to prove that ROI, right? Yeah, it's really challenging. You know, we um, like you, we work in, inside corporations as an agency, and one of the things that we have found is. It's pretty easy to do uh, first touch attribution, and it's fairly easy to do last touch attribution, but to try to do the multi-touch or sort of the middle of it all is really challenging. And so you have this infighting. Like I, I have a situation right now where we're saying, okay, we can attribute all of the PR efforts to first touch and this and this, but then the sales team is saying, no, 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 we get first touch. And you're just like, oh my gosh. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a big challenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, so in my earlier days in marketing, um, I did a lot of press release writing and dealing with PR. We had a PR agency that we worked with from the marketing team, and I managed the relationship with the PR company. And at that time, this is 2010, 2011, they weren't so much in the digital marketing realm yet. They were sure. mostly relationships, press releases, maybe yep. events. Um, they didn't really touch all the stuff it wasn't there wasn't much multimedia in terms of like video and podcast audio and they weren't getting involved with marketing automation they that was just that time but now i think there's a lot more of that going on i mean i guess as an agency you're having to delve deeper into things that used to be called purely marketing right yeah i think it depends right i mean it depends on on the, the communications professional and from an agency perspective it it depends on the firm like there are plenty of PR firms that still just do media relations or earned media, as I would call it. And there are plenty that have added on social media and maybe some content, but not content at the level that you would from a marketing perspective. And then you have, you know, the more full service digital comms agencies like mine that focus on the peso model. So we do paid media, we do earned, we do shared and we do owned, but we're kind of an anomaly. So we are working with our marketing brethren pretty closely if the if the marketing team has a growth team growth team on you know growth professionals on it, then they're doing more of the paid. But we're helping to you know discuss what that might look like from a content perspective. So we we are touching all of it. We may not execute all of it, but we definitely are touching all of it. Well, so speaking on that, especially the the digital part, um, I want to make sure we discuss digital media and how it's transformed our industry during our careers, whether it be you know. PR or, or marketing or, or both. And I think a lot of the terminology is for us within the industry to discuss. I think and you're I right, think yeah. Others don't really care. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we, you and I have both been quoted as saying that companies should take advantage of and dive deeper into more video and more podcasting. And, I mean, you have three podcasts you're involved with yourself. So, um, how has the ability for any company to become a media company affected public relations and marketing, you think? I mean, it certainly is. <clears throat> I have so many thoughts on this. Um, 
I think some of the companies that are a little more sophisticated and savvy have been really good at it. And that has allowed us to find different ways to tell stories. You know, I started off by saying that communicators are storytellers. And so it's, it's definitely given us that, that ability to do it. But I also find that communicators, and this is, this is a gross generalization, but you know, I would venture to guess at 75% or higher tend to drive more toward the written content versus video and audio, which is why I talk about so much that we should be doing audio and video. Um, But I think that that's their natural inclination where I think marketers are more like, hey, we understand that people learn differently. And so we're going to provide all different types of media. So that kind of ties into what we said earlier about, you know, joking about how we just, we, we use these terms, but the market doesn't care. Right. Right. Um, And in fact, even within marketing, the term digital marketing or marketing agency is so wide. Whenever I talk to other, even, even other marketing agencies, I always ask them a question about why do you think about the term full service agency? Because we realize that none of us can be full service. I mean, right. unless you're the really, really big boys, <laughs> yeah. because typically, and if we have a lot of partners, for example, and we all come together and realize, okay, we came from somewhere that we're special, we specialize in. Yep. So we have partners that were, in fact, if you go back five or six years, all of us probably used the word full service somewhere on our websites and, and had to back off of it, right? So yeah. Yeah. we have partners who are web, they came, they're artists that came from web development or web design, and they were full service and realized, wait a minute, but we don't write or we don't make podcasts. And so they come to us to partner for the, the audio and video. Right. Um, we began with the, you know, full service thing too, but then we realized, okay, well, we don't, we don't want to do PPC and in, in digital uh, or paid the paid portion. Um, when it comes to a lot of writing, we do create a lot of writing from the video and podcast we mm-hmm. create, which sure. you know, we love that it has, it's a very SEO and expert rich, but if it's going to start with writing, we might call an agency like yours and say, Hey, this isn't our sweet spot. We can do it, but you do it every day and you study it. And so we found that as marketers, realize you have your own specialty, stay right. in your lane and partner right. with others who have their specialty. That also means that it's bringing PR and marketing closer together, I think, because you realize when the market asks you, when a customer says we want A, B, C, and D, they're not compartmentalizing it in PR or marketing. That's they right. just want to get it done, right? Yeah, and they want it done well. And if they're hiring somebody external to help them do it, they expect that you have the specialty and the expertise to be able to do it. They're not expecting that you will learn it on the, on the fly or on the job. And so you're right. Like, you can't be full service because you can't have, you can't be web developers and web designers and graphic designers and content writers and social media pros and video producers and podcast producers. Like you can't do all of that. You're one human yeah. being. And yeah. even if you have a team, like it, it, that's almost impossible unless you're right. There's, it, it's the big global guys. And even the big global guys still specialize. You know, they still don't, the global PR firms don't bring in website and all of that. Uh, they tried but it yeah. didn't work, right? So I think you're right that <clears throat> that clients don't compartmentalize that and we have to be the ones that say, okay, let's bring this all together so that we all work in a cohesive way and it and it is an expert's team versus a bunch of experts who are trying to learn something else at the same time. Yeah, yeah. If you don't, you end up like a, like a general contractor. I mean- yeah. You know, some agencies may have that model, but it's like no one in-house is an expert of anything. We just find all the others and piece it together. But 
being a marketer before I was a business owner for marketing, I I could smell that from a mile away. Like, of course, are, are you actually the expert, or do you just hire a bunch of experts? <laughs> right, right. That's exactly right. I'm going through a through a situation with GoDaddy right now, and I'm like, so you guys don't actually know what you're doing. I see. Like, <laughs> yeah. They call themselves developers, but they put these developers on the the account that don't that are really junior and just don't have the expertise that you need. And you're right. You can smell it a mile away. Yeah. I, I call that the, um, and this is going to date me a bit, but the TV VCR combo. Right. Um, one of them <laughs> is going to die first. You know, one of probably the VCR. And then you're stuck with the TV <laughs> with a strange slot in it for no reason. You know, so oh, that's a great some analogy. of these agencies are TV VCR agencies, you know, love it. I love they it. Just plug in the thing they don't really do. And then as a customer, you realize that doesn't really work anymore, but now we're stuck with them for all these services. Yeah, that's such a great analogy. I'm stealing that. I love it. I love it. Yeah. it warning, it, does, it will date you to know what a sure. well, that's all right. combination I mean, is. I'm old. It's fine. <laughs> so um, <laughs> finally, I, wanna do, I do want to get into, you mentioned this earlier, um, your integrated approach to communication called the PESO model. But before we do, because many of our audience members are senior marketers and authors and speakers and marketing influencers themselves. I want you, before you go into it, tell us how you came about determining that you should develop a framework and how you marketed that framework. Then we'll get into what it means. Oh man, you're going to be disappointed by this. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, we were using the framework internally in my agency. And one of the challenges that we found is what you alluded to earlier, which was we were really great at getting news. We were really great at earned media. We were really great at, you know, having, getting stories and journal, had great relationships with journalists. And when the economy crashed in 2008, 2009, and journalists lost their jobs, our relationships went out the window. Like we didn't have, they were, they were laid off. They were furloughed. They went on. To, they actually, some of them joined the PR industry. Like so, all all of that went went away. And we were trying to figure out sort of how to pick ourselves up by our boots and and almost restart because all of this that we had spent years building was gone. And that was at the time, you know, Twitter became a thing in 2007, and blogging sort of became a thing. And about the same time, Facebook then launched to the business world, and LinkedIn launched. And so you had all of this stuff happening in that like. 2009 to 2012 period, where all of a sudden you had a different opportunity to tell stories for your clients to their customers in ways that we didn't have before. And so it was the model that we were using internally. And when I wrote Spin Sucks the Book, I talked about it. And I talked about this model and how, and I sort of told that story of, you know, it's things have changed. You can't just focus on earned media anymore. And my publisher during the first phase of editing said, this needs a name. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, this process, this model, it needs a name. It's, this is a framework. I know you don't think of it that way, but it needs a name. So we went through the whole process of should it be OESP? That doesn't make sense. Should it be OSEP? Should it be like we were trying to figure it out? And finally, she said, well, people will remember PESO. And so we went through the whole process of trying to figure out, can we say PESO since it's a currency? And we, you know, we, we could. We got permission to do that. And that's how it came about. I mean, I didn't really think about it from the perspective of being strategic about it. You know, I had to work backwards to copyright and trademark it all and, you know, do all of that because I had no idea it was going to take the industry by storm like it did. It didn't even occur to me that it would do that. Okay. So now that we know how and why you did it, 
So tell us about the peso model, what it is, and maybe even from what angles it should be approached. Sure. So we it's paid media, was the P, earned media, shared media, and owned. And really, you know, <laughs> I got in a little bit of an argument with somebody on LinkedIn the other day because pay, he goes, peso is dead. It should be owned, shared, earned, paid. And I was like, no, it actually should always be owned, shared, earned, and paid. But you, you will not remember OSEP. <laughs> you just don't <laughs> yeah. remember it. Exactly. So you, you almost never start with paid media in this model ever. You might, if you're doing, if you're selling widgets and you have to sell out at Christmas time, right? Like you may start with paid in that instance, but hardly ever. You almost always start with owned and then you go to shared and then earned or earned and then shared and then paid as last. So we really look at it as an integrated model. And really you can't, without owned media, you really can't do anything else in today's world, right? You don't have anything to share on social. Journalists are always going to look at your content before they'll accept any sort of pitch. If you want to do contributed content, they're going to see what you're already producing, what you're already writing. They're going to see where else you've been published. And you don't have anything to amplify it unpaid without owned media, without content. So we always start there, and then we use the other media types to, to help get it out there and to give it credibility, to amplify it, and to reach new audiences. So there's something about that that, as I studied it, and I also looked at some of the things that I've been speaking on as well, in terms of, especially, you know, our company is a content marketing agency. So we do, we produce own media for, for people, for businesses. But what got a bit confusing, and I want to, maybe you can help me clarify this when I speak on it, is when you say owned media, is it the media you're talking about, the actual content, or is it the channel? Because as you go through the P, the E, the S, and the O, Sometimes it sounds like you're talking about the channel and sometimes it sounds like you're talking about the actual content itself. So when you say owned media, if I have a video that I created, um, it's branded with my company's brand and then I put it on YouTube, is it still owned media even though it's on YouTube? It is not. I would consider that shared um, Mm -hmm. because you no longer own it. So if you if you've created it and it's on your website and then you've also promoted it and posted it published it to to YouTube then you're intersecting the two owned and shared. But we really look at owned media as it's it's on something that you own. It's on your blog, it's on your website, it's on something that if all of this went away, if you know, the downfall of Twitter actually happens and YouTube goes away and Facebook goes away, if it all goes away, you still have your content. Because mm-hmm. it lives on something you own, you're then renting it to the to the social media sites. Okay, so if I'm talking to a company, which I do often, I'm helping them to become a media company. Mm-hmm. And I say, you know, hey, Acme Incorporated, you need to create more content and you need to create more media so that the world is always seeing you wherever they go. They know that you know they're being informed by you. Um, now. Let's take Coca-Cola, for example. We don't really have a Coca-Cola TV. We don't really go through their website, but we see their content. Maybe I should say Red Bull instead. Red Bull, which actually yep. may have a TV. But yeah, they um, may actually. They actually have a TV. Pro, maybe yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> went from a medium example to maybe a bad example. But <laughs> my, my point being is that they're being media companies. are creating lots of media. I mean, Nike has a media division that creates all kinds of stuff. You may see it anywhere. You may see it anywhere sure. from in-store to YouTube to, you know, to wherever without ever going to their site. 
Sure. So how would you help me clarify if I'm telling a company to have owned media, the own the media that they create, they need to create media that they own with their brand that they designed, et cetera, et cetera. But yet on the other side, you would say, well, you don't own it if it's on YouTube. So I would look at it with two lenses. One is that most of your content is going to live on your website. And the idea being that you're going to drive people back to your website, right? But you also have content that's going to live on the social networks and you understand that this is an awareness building play and it's never going to drive traffic to your website. So Inc. Magazine is a really great example of this. It was probably about a month ago, maybe five weeks ago, that their site got hacked and it sent really disgusting spam to all of their readers via email. And so they took their site down because they were... First of all, it was it was really disgusting and they were mortified. And so they wanted to take the site down entirely while they got it fixed so that it didn't happen again and their subscribers didn't get these vile messages. During it was like, I think it was eight or nine days that they were down. During that time, they went to LinkedIn and they were publishing content there because they're a publishing house, right? This is that's what they do. They create content. They're a media empire. They were publishing content there. And with the idea that we're just keeping this going so that you don't wonder what happened to us and you don't come to our website and see that it's down. We're, we're keeping this going while we fix this. And then they shifted back over to the website. But they've kept this going because, on LinkedIn because it works so well from an awareness standpoint and it works so well for keeping things top of mind. So now they're doing both. Where before this happened, they were only on their own website. So I would look at it as, as two parallel paths. You know, if you're building a media empire, you should be everywhere. But most of your content, I would say, should live on something that you own. And then you're going to do certain things. Like you're going to do certain things on TikTok that you're not going to put on your website. You certainly may be doing certain things on YouTube that you wouldn't put on the website. That's great. But do most of it on something that you own so that you own it and you're driving people back to your website. And that's a question I always get when people ask about ROI on podcasts or on video. Like, how do I get ROI? And I said, well, the goal is to drive back to your, to your website. You know, everything should point back to your website. That's true. But it's also true that I can say for myself, if I looked at the views of my content on rented land times of using my website, it's probably 10 X outside sure. of my website. So sure. the brand awareness comes up, it gets higher that way. Um, right. Business happens and leads and all those kind of things. Sometimes they never visit the website until they're ready to actually find a way to contact me, right. um, which that's the goal. Obviously. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about owned and shared. So the other, other ones are paid and earned. Right. So paid, I guess, is pretty straightforward, right? Is it yeah. basically like advertising? Yeah. I mean, it's paid social. It's paid, it's Google ads. It's sponsored content, native advertising. It's that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And earned is when someone picks up on what you've done and republishes. Can, can you explain that a bit? Yeah. I mean, I would consider it all what most people consider PR, but it's media relations. So it's, it's pitching journalists. It's doing contributed content. It's republishing um, we just had somebody ask us the other day if they could republish a podcast episode on their podcast. And I was like, yes, please. That's interesting, please. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's that kind of stuff where you, you're technically earning the ability for somebody else to say you're great. Like, so you're not saying you're great. You're not saying you're smart. Somebody else is doing it for you. And you're earning that ability because you've built trust and credibility to be able to do that. Can businesses, can businesses still pitch? I mean, I'm, I'm sure for... Big news. Well, I'm wondering, okay, 
if the news is big enough to where it's really, really interesting, I'm thinking it's more likely today people will find it easier without being pitched. But if it needs to be pitched, isn't it difficult? Like, let me back up a bit. So this is just some of my history. I'm trying to unlearn some things. Um, I've probably written a few thousand press releases um, back in the day. And the goal was to get, you know, get it picked up by the wire or pay for a wire to get it distributed. And then you pay, you know, PR Newswire or whoever to get it out there. And you hope that some reporter says, oh, this is an interesting article, interesting event in my space. Let me look into it and write more about it or contact them. This was all pre, you know, social pre, you know, all those things. So how does that work today? I mean, if, if you're a business and I mean, they're still doing it, I think mostly because they always have done it, but I don't know if they, do they need to as much like, Hey, we we have a new product. I used to write press releases like new product, new service, new update, press release, press release, press release. Who, nobody wants to see that stuff. No, nobody. But in the industry, they would hope that maybe an analyst would see it or something um, because it, if it wasn't for the wire, they wouldn't know what was go- what was new. Right. But now, I mean, you could just put it on your own website and maybe Google will find it. Or you, you know, you do a press release on some cheap service that has good SEO and it gets found. So yeah. how does that work today for businesses and PR? Yeah, I, there is still something to be said for continuing to pitch media. Um, and and it's, it's harder than it used to be. Um, because you, you're right. You could put something on the wire and somebody would pick it up and, and, and then you would call a handful of people who would become your friends and tell them you had the story and they would do it. Right. And it's, it's got become a lot more challenging. So where it works really well is in specific niches. So if you work in cannabis, for instance, that market is really rich with, with journalism. So you can pitch those kinds of things. So usually your trade media is still very hot. You can still pitch trade media. Local media, if it's a really good local story, you can still pitch that. Where it's harder is, you know, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and TechCrunch and those guys. Local and trade. Those are two caught my attention because that, yeah. that still makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah. If you're you know, releasing a new product, your industry cares about it. Your trade they cares do. about it. Yep. Maybe not the general public, but your industry would. And they're looking for something to write about. That's right. Get that. And then local, it's, it's amazing how local still works local. I mean, yeah. where I live now, there's a local newspaper that has a lot of power in the area. And I, I've never seen it in print. <laughs> I don't even know if it's huh, in print Interesting. <laughs> I just thought about, I think it's in print. I've never seen it, but I've seen all the clippings wow. on Twitter and, and Facebook sure. and whatever. Yeah. And I've heard all the rumors. And I know that they have this this brand, I can't tell you if it's in print or not, but. That's funny. Huh. <laughs> Interesting how now things Now you have to look and see. <laughs> I got to look and see if it's actually in print now or not. Yeah. And if it is, I'm going to say, you're probably wasting your money because. Right. Because no one knows that you're actually in print. <laughs> yeah. Nobody even knows it. We're reading about it via, you know, social media. That's right. And, yep. and I've seen pictures of it, but who knows if it's ever printed. So. That's really funny. So finally, Jenny, let's, let's kind of wrap up on. Just where is this going? I mean, is it going to be a point where we're never trying to even divide marketing and PR? Like, is it just another another branch of the same effort to, you know, help our companies and brands get noticed and be known and promote them? Is there, is, would you, if you could combine the terms to make it simpler to understand, I mean, do you think that there's basically one large effort and these are all just pieces of the same effort. 
Yeah, I do. Unfortunately, I really hate to admit that out loud, but we've seen big change in the last three or four years where we used to report directly to the CEO and now we're reporting to a chief marketing officer. And there used to be a chief communications officer in most of our clients' businesses. And now they, that, no long, that job no longer exists in most of them. So we've seen that shift ourselves where we're no longer reporting to the CEO, but to the chief marketing officer. Um, where I've seen that not shift is when organizations need help with DE&I or they need help with ESG or they need help really standing up for their values and trying to understand how to communicate that. And that is when they'll bring in a chief communications officer to really help them through that. Because, you know, forever business leaders have been told, don't talk about your values. And now everybody's saying, you got to talk about your values. And they're like, wait, what? I've been in business for 40 years. What do I do? Right? Yeah. So Somebody come write our values for us. <laughs> right. Oh, we need some values. <laughs> <laughs> what are our values? We didn't have values yesterday. Somebody right. come write today, something for right? us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the only place where I've seen communications not fall under marketing. But yeah, everything else is starting to, to blur very, very deeply. That's interesting. I mean, there, there was a time when, when I was that marketer hiring a PR agency, and then I, I launched Content Monster, and I was wondering, do I reach out to this PR agency and say, let's partner on some things, or do they see us as competition? Mm, interesting. And so for some PR companies that I reached out to that I never heard from, I'm seeing now five, six, seven years later, they're trying to do things that are a bit outside or heading to the whole full service thing because... My perception, I could be totally wrong. My perception is they're struggling and needing to do more than what they used to do. Um, And my goal back then was to say, hey, things are changing. You might not see it. We see it because we're getting new business from new things. Maybe we should work together. And uh, so now they're saying, now they're turning around and go, hey, remember when you reached out to us five years ago? (laughs) How about now? (laughs) You're like, no, no. Is that how that works? <laughs> it's, it's how it works, definitely. And so, I mean, I respect and know that PR is very valuable. It still has a place. And it's one of those things where Content Monster is not interested in doing that. And so we'll find partners to do it, you know, yep. who smart. are still deep into it and have the relationships and all those things. Yep. yep. That's smart. Very smart. All right. Well, Jenny, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Um, I look forward to actually getting in. I love the title of all your your spin spin <laughs> things. It, it, I have to admit, it was a little weird <laughs> introducing you. I never said sucks in one paragraph three <laughs> times so many before. Times, right? <laughs> yeah, not yeah. especially not in a business city. I've never said sucks so much, and yeah. it made sense. And I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. So before we go, please. Remind us of all those things that do not actually suck, that are great contents um, that you have and where we can find you. Well, unfortunately or fortunately, it is spinsucks.com, but that's easy to remember. Mm-hmm. Okay. Spinsucks.com. And, and your, that's your agency as well? Yeah. And everything's there. All our social and everything. Awesome. 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 Easy. All right. Well, Jenny, thank you again for joining us. I really appreciate your, your insight. It's been fun. And uh, to the listeners, thank you for listening to the podcast. And we'll also want to see Jenny and I video the podcast and others will be available on the podcast section of contentmaster.com. Again, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Business of Marketing podcast, a show brought to you by contentmonster.com, the producer of B2B digital marketing content. Show notes can be found on contentmonster.com as well as aleejudge.com. 
to continue the conversation, be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platform.